Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday, January the 5th. It is a soggy morning here in TW11. It has stopped raining now, but not before 34 millimetres or thereabouts fell since mid-afternoon yesterday, Thursday. And it's been a similar story just down the road at Sandown Park. And that has meant that their fixture tomorrow, which was supposed to feature the Veterans Chase final, has been abandoned. They and the British Horse Racing Authority are trying to find a way of restaging that prestigious race for a particular subset of important and popular horses. But for the moment, it's not going to be run on Saturday afternoon as planned. Well, can Wincanton, uh, unlikely as it may seem, come to the rescue? They also have had an awful lot uh, of rain, but it's a different type of track. And their clerk of the course, Daniel Cooper, a nephew of Sandown's clerk, Andrew, ironically enough, is trying to save the day uh, what prospects dan as we speak today just after nine o'clock on friday morning good morning uh, nick sorry about sundown but wincanton's an extraordinary place and we are we are heavy there's standing water in places uh, we're not calling this fixture off we're going to honor the inspection we we think we've got a fighting chance it's going to be a testing testing condition but it'll be raceable and we want to deliver seven races so you th- you think it could well be raceable by by Saturday morning? Yeah, I could go as far as saying this afternoon. I, I, I honestly, my experience at Wincanton tells me that don't over, don't rush. Uh, let Wincanton on the top of the hill do its thing. Be brave and um, and continue. We're we're not racing today, so I'm not going to get rushed into any decision. Um, we we honestly believe that we will we will be raceable, and if I can say that this afternoon, I will do so. Okay, so you, it may even be that you don't need to call an inspection Saturday morning. That's true. Yeah, I think part of the inspection protocol is sort of raising that awareness level, so everyone knows that they should check. Everyone knows that we're tender, um, so we might just still honour that in in case of things happen and, and, and any, anything goes wrong on sort of the wider estate car parks or, or what, whatever the, things like the stable office this morning and flooded so we we should probably be um realistic on that basis i'll probably still 6 a.m have a good look at facilities and, and the track but yeah we've had a we've had two three walks this morning and certainly feel certainly feel there's a there's an ability to race tomorrow um my calculations say we've we've got about 40 hours of dry weather before the first race 
Um, Wincanton generally changes in 12 hours. A going description at Wincanton evolves every 12 hours. Well, not far from Wincanton is is, um, multiple champion trainer Paul Nichols, who whom we spoke, you'll remember, earlier in the week on the podcast. And Paul, you you can get it quite hard when the rain comes in in that ferocity. Were you bailing out last night? Yeah, I mean, it's a once in a sort of 15-year event, really, when you get so much rain in the area and through Somerset and Wiltshire, it all ends up coming down the rivers, and we're right by close to the River Allen. And then as as everything, like, it backs up and the river bursts banks everywhere, all the drainage work that, you know, in the village and everywhere here and through our yard then backs up instead of clearing, it backs up, and we, we flood, and our bottom yard floods. Like, we've got six or eight horses when it gets like that. We have to move out. And that past ten last night, we were having to move them out. Um, and astonishingly, once the water levels drop, it's like someone pulls a plug. It just disappears and it's all gone today. So if you get, if you get it in really intense vo- volume very, very quickly, it can go as quickly as it comes. Yeah, and but the most the, the problem is where uh, higher up uh, back coming areas around Bruton that are high up, they get so much rain there, but then it actually then feeds down into the river, and then and nothing can cope, and it's just sheer volumes of water. I mean, I must say I've never ever seen rain like it last night or water on the roads. I mean, I, t- I took that to the pub last night, basically had a rescue him, and took us an hour to get home, and that's just a half a mile down the road. I've never seen anything like it. But there we are. It's all good this morning. Yeah, that's that's really good news. And uh, and it seems as though, from what Dan Cooper was saying, Wincanton's going to get the go-ahead as well, which is which is great. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me, because the sheer amount of water just runs everywhere. It just ran straight off last night. It was never going to really soak in. And I can just tell by around about here, the fields around here, it's actually not as bad as you think it was because it just literally washes straight off. And I suppose a dry day today and a dry day tomorrow, it'll be okay. And it's probably better that it's wet than, rather than drying and holding. So I say they've got a fair chance. Um, you might have four winners, mightn't you? Four runners? Four winners at your local yeah, track? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's quite a tough race. He's got a couple of chances. Best chances individualist. He loves every ground, but it's, um, it's, it's just nice if racing's on. And are you going to run this nice juvenile at Plumpton on Sunday, Cabral de Mata? No, I'm not. I'm not going to send anything to Plumpton. I'm going to wait. He's got a £10 penalty for winning. Like in France, you win just an ordinary race, but you, over here, class, as a class two, you get a £10 penalty. I think that's an awful lot for a juvenile. So I'm going to wait for something else for him. Or he, I, I could go on a national hunt, novice hurdle with him somewhere with against older horses with his four-year-old allowance, not have to carry so much weight. So I'm probably going to wait. I go to Taunton on Monday as well. So I'll probably have nothing at Plumpton at all Monday. And is it is it going to be a typical January, i.e quieter flu jabs i think we've got 14 clifford works out that haven't been flu jabbed that can run over the next couple of weeks everything else has had their flu jab and have a couple of weeks quiet so we sort of stagger it but there's 14 that can run including son and gino and pictoria go to kempton next week so um yeah we'll have a few to go all right that was paul nichols second time on the podcast this week and prior to him we heard from daniel cooper the clerk at, at wing canton who i think is is riding to his uncle andrew and everybody else's um rescue tomorrow uh, Rishi Passad is with me this morning. Rishi's in Dubai, more of which later. But Rishi, before you took off, the heavens had started to open and they didn't shut until about four o'clock this morning. And you can see I put on my social media feed what Paul Nichols was talking about. That, that was pretty scary last night. Yeah, and it's probably a, a story or an incident and an experience that's shared by a fair few people around the country. It's it's not been pleasant. I'm not saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but um, it's it's a massive challenge when in our little world of racing. It's a massive challenge at the moment for race courses, for trainers, uh, for staff to have to deal with this at the moment. So um, good luck to them in getting through it. It must be a very, very difficult spell to cope with 
the quantity of rainfall that we've had in the last in the last few weeks. Yeah, so that's what's happening as regards some of the stables around the country. And I know when we had last had a sustained period of flooding, several stables were underwater. Uh, Phil and Mel Rowley were one of the worst hit, and it's taken them a long time to kind of rebuild and get everything back back together again. So if if you have been affected you have our utmost sympathies because it's incredibly difficult and you know, moving horses around trying to evacuate them out of flooding stables in the middle of the night is a, a nightmare situation. It's not the best situation for the sport's second week of, of premier racing or the first premier racing um, on, on, on a Saturday because Sandown, the, the premier fixture is gone. As I say, Wincanton riding to the rescue, but uh, rather ironically, because Sandown lost their grade one race to Aintree, Sandown took the big handicap chase from Wincanton. So Wincanton's card, which is now the central card, is not as good as once it was. The The fates are not looking kindly on this project at the moment. But if you start anything on January the 1st, then you are always potentially a victim to the weather. Correct. Um, because it started at the beginning of January. Premierization was always going to be beholden to the weather. And the weather's had the final say. Obviously, uh, week one was... Uh, a soft launch with what happened at Cheltenham and the small fields. Um, a few people obviously talking about the ground being uh, one of the principal reasons for there being small fields, definitely not the only one. Um, and obviously this week, the incessant rain, sand down gone, Wincanton now left, fingers crossed that Wincanton gets the go ahead. Um, but yeah, their card isn't exactly what you would describe as one that would automatically fit primarization but this is this is, these are the cards that have been dealt for racing um i i, I don't think judging primarization in the first few weeks of january is in any way going to uh give us the full picture of what we are hoping uh might come forth from it and it's probably going to be better judged later on through the years we move through the first few interesting months through february march april we'll probably get a better idea hopefully there'll be some early indications that the main reason for polymerization which is to increase turnover on the better races which would ultimately result in better prize money for the better racing down the road uh, and a healthier sport overall will the early indications will be positive that's that's the hope but at the moment, um, <laughs> there's no other way of saying it's just not going very well. Uh, so it, you're almost suggesting that you think it might have been a bit a bit missold as a concept, i.e. the actual point of it has yeah. been missed well, in, I, I in, think, the, in the recent narrative. Yeah, I think a lot of people have got caught up in how it's been promoted, the logo, um, the, the meaning of premierization to punters and racegoers. I was led to believe, and unless I've read this wrong, and you can help me here on your interpretation of it, Nick, but I thought the whole point of premierization was to increase the turnover and thereby increase the benefit financially on the better races, which on a normal course of events on a Saturday afternoon when our best races are normally being run or perhaps during the week during the better festival meetings, that there are other lesser meetings taking place at the same time and i think the word that's been used before to talk about it has been cannibalization of the good racing by the by the sport itself because we put on so much racing at that time that in order to uh, increase and maximize turnover on the better races which normally in the course of events generate better income um because there's so much racing going on that it doesn't allow the the average punter uh, enough time to think and contribute and make those make those uh, wages on the better right. racing. And so, by removing the excess racing, it focuses on the better racing. 
So instead of instead of promoting this as a da da, you know, this is yeah. un grand unveiling. It, it should really have just been sold as a as a uh, administrative restructure, as a restructure of the fixtures on a very good day's racing to allow the best racing to breathe, to allow people to concentrate on the best racing. Um, and, it's, and in fairness, I know ultimately they've come up with 170 fixtures, which seems a lot. Um, but that's something that as a as a racing fan i've always wanted you know you know as well as i do that ever since i remember when we first started on at the races back in 2002 you know i remember oaks day before Hazia was going into the gates i think there was a race at catrick beforehand and there was a race almost after the, the oaks it's that sort of congested fixture during a, a a showcase afternoon of racing that i think ultimately is what Premierisation is all about to remove that element to allow the good racing to breathe. Casia, God, that's a blast from the past. Um, <laughs> German bread, Casia, yes, yes, yes. She was German bread. Said and Frankie, wow, Guinea, Guinea Guineas and Oaks, was it? Guineas and Oaks. She didn't. And funny enough, when, when she won the Guineas, I didn't think she'd be quick enough for the Guineas, and then I wasn't sure she, she'd stay. <laughs> totally got that wrong. Well done, Rish. Well, lest you were in any doubt that however high-profile jockeys are, they're still working extremely hard even when they're not on the race course, I ring a uh, highly decorated multiple grade one winning rider Jack Kennedy who's having just about the season of his life and I find him tacking up. But he's good enough to talk to me while, while you're tacking up. Mind you, given some of the horses you're riding every morning, I guess the incentive is fairly great, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, um, that's nice uh nice to come in here in the mornings and uh, there's uh, plenty plenty of good horses yeah um, so you're in Gordon Elliott's at the moment um, who are you tacking up just just out of interest uh, Firefox actually yeah <laughs> well that that was extremely convenient wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Firefox of course is the horse that Jack is going to ride in this weekend's feature race which is the the grade one Lawlers of Nace Novice Hurdle at Nace two and a half miles two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and he looked brilliant last time when beating a, a, a Ballyburn, who's gone in subsequently. So, give me an idea, uh, Jack, as to how you how you look upon this horse and how you rate what he's done so far. Um, yeah, he's been very good. Obviously, his his maiden hurdle, uh, the form has been frank now with Ballyburn winning in Leopardstown. Um, uh, he was he probably won a bit of a sprint really in, in Fairy House but uh, that's probably something we'd like to see we probably thought he was more of a stare than a speedy horse anyway so um, yeah he, he, he showed a few gears in, in Fairy House yeah and you've already got a verdict over one of your key likely rivals, Il Atlantique, because Jamie Codd rode Firefox to, to beat him in a in a bumper at Ferry House uh, back in back in April. I, I, the way you look at it, objectively, is that a fair reflection of their respective merits? Are you pretty confident that you've got the best horse going into this race? Uh, Touchwood, I, I would I would be. Um... I I don't think we've seen the best of, of, of Firefox yet, hopefully, so um, hopefully he can keep progressing. And you've got plenty to compare him to. Uh, when you look at all these beautiful young novice hurdlers in Gordon Elliott's this year, and there's a serious clutch of them, um, where does he sit? Uh, he, I'd, he'd, he'd be well up there. He'd, uh, 
he, well, he'd be, be hoping he would be anyway. Um, obviously, he has to go and get the job done on, on Sunday, but um, be hoping he'd be able to. Um, we've always thought a lot of him. thought he was one of our nicer ones, so uh, hopefully we're right anyway. And I say, you know, it, it, it doesn't take it, it doesn't take a genius to work out the the incentive to go in and ride these beautiful horses every morning and and then get the job done in the afternoon. If there are ones that really get you up, um, apart from Firefox, who would they be at the moment amongst amongst the youngsters? Who who's who's really made you think? Right, this could be a star of the future. Um, bright, brighter days ahead. Obviously, she's uh, she's been very good. Um, I spoke Croke Park, who's running on Sunday as well. He's another one. He's he's a good horse as well. So um, there's loads of them. Obviously, Caldwell Potter uh, won nicely in Fairy or in in Leopardstown. Um, it's probably a horse that you you wouldn't show a whole pile at home, but uh, goes to the races then and gets the job done. So he's um, there's there's loads of nice ones, yeah. And a and a nice gentle breeze for Firefox this morning. Just blow the cobwebs out ahead of Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fairly routine stuff now. This morning there won't be won't be anything too different done with him. All right. Look forward to seeing you and him. Then may the great season continue, Jack. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Nick. Uh, Jack Kennedy there, and that was um a very handy bit of. Uh, happenstance there <laughs> that he happened to be attacking up Firefox just as I wanted to speak to him about him. Uh, he he does look a, a, a real prospect this horse and and Gordon Elliott will be hoping the conversion rate of these of these promising young horses in his yard is a strong one. I've liked a lot what Firefox has done was two runs. Obviously last time out he beat Ballyburn and I like the way he beat Ballyburn last time out. He travelled strongly in front. Um, and then when asked to quicken by Jack Kennedy, I mean, he's just had too much for, for Ballyburn, who is a very good horse, obviously, from the William Mullins team. And he's beaten his main rival before in a bumper, Atlantique. Well, and the bumper that he won as well, he was really strong at the end of it, Firefox. So I expect him to win. I think he's a really good horse. I think the extra distance will be right up his street as well. So unsurprisingly, there's more money at play in Ireland than there is in the UK. Uh, particularly with the abandonment of Sandown, and that Nace fixture is is a very strong one. Uh, you know, I I read you the Gordon Elliott Willie Mullins disparity a couple of weeks ago before the busy mm-hmm. period. Have you seen it now? Three two two five nine twenty Elliott three one zero seven three zero five Mullins. Uh, Mullins mm. is on his tail, and you fancy he hasn't even got going yet. Yeah, so I had a, a Twitter conversation with someone for suggesting when Mullins had five winners, uh, I think it was on the 27th of December, that it was a good day because I think the previous day he probably didn't have uh, such a good day. Um, and I said, oh, it's a good day, great day for, for Mullins. And someone took took um, took umbrage with me for suggesting that five winners, including three in a handicap, weren't exactly, or no, two in a two in maiden hurdles or novices, uh, one in a handicap and two graded winners weren't wouldn't uh, constitute a great day for Willie Mullins. Um, well, pretty shortly after that, it turned into a great couple of days, and it's been a wonderful spell for him. You know, it's it's inevitable, Nick. The size of stable that he has, the quality of horses that eventually he's going to just like a juggernaut, you know, run roughshod over everyone, and I'm afraid it's inevitable. 
Rishi Pasad, you are this week not only the co- co- contributor on, on Friday to this podcast, but also our Dubai correspondent, because that is where you are for this evening's fixture in Maidan. Uh, what can we mm-hmm. look forward to? Uh, a couple of very good races, Nick. There's the Dubawi Stakes, which is a sprint on the dirt over uh, 1,200 metres. It's a very good race. Um, Sound Money's a horse that I think a lot of people will be keen on. Um, but there's some other good horses uh, in the race. I mean, Sound Money's having his first run for a while. Uh, there's Tuz, who's a very good sprinter. Colour Up, who's potentially a very good sprinter on the dirt. And Eastern World, who... Um, I think many people remember when he made, when he was trained by Charlie Appleby. He's a half brother to Thunder Snow. Never had the opportunity to f- fulfil his potential on on the dirt. I think he might be one I'll be interested in tonight. And then, of course, the big race is the Zabil Mile. <laughs> that group two on the turf, where real world. Do you remember him chasing home Bayed in the the Lockinge and the I'm, Queen Anne? Absolutely. He and he ran in he ran in Bahrain uh, a couple of starts yeah. back, and I thought showed. Quite, quite a, a a little spark to run a, yeah. a good fourth in that race, and then I'm a bit disappointed in the in the it Dubai was. return in the Al Rashidiyah. It was disappointing. I mean, he was firmly put in his place by Measured Time, who might be very, very good for Charlie Appleby, um, but he, he was a bit keen. He he weakened out of it in the end. I mean, he wasn't beaten miles. He beaten eight lengths. He wasn't that far behind Al Fariq, who was a dual Jebel Hatter winner. But running out of patience, you would have to say, myself and I imagine a few of his supporters would be uh, running out of patience with real world. This is a great opportunity this evening. If he doesn't take this opportunity, then I'm afraid I cannot support real world in the future. And it seems as if San Donato is the main danger. San Donato's got a really awkward draw in stall 13. Um, and other than that, Marban's another horse that you'll be very familiar with, uh, who's obviously stepping up to a mile. Um, but this wasn't the, the original plan for Marban. They wanted connection. He's now with Michael Costa. Um, they wanted to give him a, a bit more time, but the opportunity came up and they've taken it. I really, if Real World can't win today, I'll be really disappointed with him. And I'm afraid that this is very much the last chance for Real World. So now we turn our attentions to all things American. And if you are a fan of US racing or indeed a keen student of what goes on behind the scenes and off the track, then you will be intrigued, interested and stimulated, I hope, by our new series, which launches this weekend. And indeed, if I can get my act together quickly enough, may even air late tonight. Because this afternoon, I will be conducting an interview, an exclusive broadcast interview, uh, since he announced his new project with leading racehorse owner, and now self-appointed racing administrator, Mike Rapoli, the entrepreneur whose life story is pretty extraordinary and who is now seeking to change the very framework of American horse racing. He will be the first subject of 12 editions that we're going to be rolling out during the course of the year with people who are influencing American racing, shaping policy and driving its direction as it seeks to stabilise and seeks to unify after one of its most febrile periods in history. Nick Luck Daily USA debuts this weekend on this channel. Don't miss it. Well, it's a little under three weeks until the most prestigious awards ceremony and the most important awards ceremony in US horse racing, the Eclipse Awards. And this year, Horse of the Year where last year it was dead straightforward. It was flight line all the way from the first jump to 
the minute everybody walked into the room. This year, it's altogether a little bit more contentious. There realistically are five or six horses that could have been horse of the year or could be horse of the year. And a lot of the debate centres around whether Cody's Wish, who delivered that extraordinarily emotional second successive victory in the in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, should be horse of the year, or whether his actual achievements on the track um, merited the award over horses like, for example, the Breeders' Cup Classic winner White Barrio or uh, the Philly Idiomatic or perhaps the uh, Belmont and Travers winner Arcangelo or the top turf horse up to the mark. They're all legitimate to a greater or lesser extent. Matt Bonier is my NBC broadcast colleague. He has a firmer grip of the American form book than anybody else I know. Um, Matt, you've submitted your Eclipse ballot. I've submitted mine. We don't know what each other voted for. Should we start with Horse of the Year and the Cody's Wish question uh, and how you answered it? But I, I, part of me doesn't feel like I necessarily have voted for the absolute best horse of the year. I think the story in totality has to be factored in when you talk about Cody's Wish. And I know some folks don't like to think of that, you want to kind of separate the story from the actual accomplishments. But I don't know how you can possibly do that this year, given everything surrounding this horse and, and the connections and everyone involved. I I voted for him. Part of me feels a little bit dirty. Uh, I think the best horse that ran in the United States last year, period, end of story, was up to the mark. The problem is trying to convince the American public that he was actually the best horse because, Nick, you know better than anyone that it seems like we're a little bit behind as far as the turf racing is concerned so when we see a really truly quality exceptional turf runner it almost catches everyone a bit off, off guard here based in the united states so i in my heart of hearts i think up to the mark was the best horse i voted horse of the year cody's wish yeah i, I did as well I, I thought this year in particular it wasn't that hard a decision because there were very few standout performers in either the three-year-old or older horse dirt division. I echo your comments about up to the mark, but then I can't help thinking, well, he got put in his place by August Rodin and the Breeders' Cup turf, and had he won that race, maybe I'd have been swayed in that direction, but the sheer impact of Cody's wish uh, pushed me in in that direction. Um, who did you give two-year-old Colt to? This one for me was pretty cut and dry. I, I just thought fierceness with what he did in the Breeders' Cup I know he laid an egg in his race prior, but for whatever reason that may have been, his debut was spectacular. And then to come through and run what I believe is the fastest Breeders' Cup juvenile since Uncle Mo, who wore the same colors and goes out for the same outfit that this horse does. Uh, to me, it was case closed. There's no doubt about it. Fierceness should be two-year-old male. And I thought it was a, a justify head-to-head -head in the two-year-old filly. Unless you, unless you excuse Tamara, the Breeders' Cup, and think that she showed the most talent on that one occasion, which did you go for? I, I went with just FYI, kind of the, the same logic that you were kind of looking at, where what she's done, has she run overly fast? No, but it's hard to poke holes in her overall body of work, what she's done from start to finish. So to me, that was kind of a closed-shut deal as well. I just think just FYI deserves to be the winner. I mean, the Triple Crown was its um, customary mess, uh, as it has been since 2018, but Arcangelo won the Belmont and then won the, the Travers. And again, he over-indexed in terms of impact, whether that matters or not. Uh, clear cut for you or, or, or less so? Very much so, clear cut. Um, to me, it was Archangelo. The real difficult piece became filling out who the remaining finalists, in your opinion, would be. It was so murky, in my opinion, that I actually voted August Rodan mm. as the second finalist. So did I. Males. Yeah, I mean, look, to, to win a Breeders' Cup race the way that he did, if I think that highly of up to the mark, I've got to give August Rodan some bonus points. But at the end of the day, this is an American award. 
And with what Archangelo did, both in the Belmont and in the Travers, he basically defeated all comers. Whoever he faced, he handled. And you can't say that really about any of the other three-year-olds. Yeah, I, I put August Red on second. I, I gave old Go Rocket Ride, the ill-fated, sadly, Go Rocket Ride third spot here for his victory, and mainly for his victory in the Haskell, and I thought a rather luckless run in the, in the Pacific Classic. But um, Archangelo gets it. It all ends up, I think. Three-year-old Philly, um, who did you go for here? I went with Pretty Mischievous. Um, I just felt like her overall body of work from start to finish was better than anything any of the other three-year-olds, the girls anyway, accomplished. That Kentucky Oaks was a sparkling effort. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see her run in the Breeders' Cup distaff because I do think she would have at least been competitive. I'm not suggesting she would have beaten Idiomatic, but um, beyond that, then it really got a little bit interesting because if you didn't want to give it to Pretty Mischievous, you could make a case for some sort of more unique circumstances some unique kind of characters Maj comes to mind you know only defeated by a nose in the mile and we know what she did in the qe2 at keeneland i threw kijera in there who goes out for phil bowers barn but they chose to bypass the breeders cup so i don't know that i can sit here and put her above the kentucky oaks winner yeah i think i went pretty mischievous randomized Maj, older dirt male well here's the thing if you make Cody's Wish Horse of the Year, does it follow you have to make him older dirt male? Or can you say, well, actually, I'm I'm basing Horse of the Year on different criteria than I'm basing this? Or is that counter to the spirit of the awards? I mean, personally, I ended up going with Cody's Wish. I do understand folks that may split up the award and say, look, Horse of the Year, there's more to it than just purely, you know, the, the credentials and what you've done on the track. Because if you just go on that merit, I know he only really won two big races, but isn't it kind of hard to deny a horse like White Abario? Indeed so. Uh, and that uh, very dominant performance in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Older dirt female, idiomatic, large in stature and large on performance towards the back end of 2023. And that's presumably enough to seal it for her? Uh, this should be a, a unanimous decision. I, I don't think anyone is remotely close to idiomatic in this division. And I wouldn't be overly offended by folks that look at her and say she's actually horse of the year based on her accomplishments and in the same colors the judmont colors who they've had another great year is the do the same comments apply uh, to to elite power in the sprinter division yes ditto there, there's no two ways around it he's a globe trotter he proved himself both in the middle east and here in the united states uh, if it's anyone other than elite power it's a disaster a lot of people publish their their ballots um plenty don't of the of the voting corpus um i've seen three different fillies nominated for female sprinter where did you go i went with goodnight olive but this is another one going back to my discussion with cody's wish first up to the mark for horse of the year purely on talent i think echo zulu was a better Philly than Goodnight Olive. The problem is we didn't see Echo Zulu that much, and Goodnight Olive was so impressive out at Santa Anita again. So I gave her the nod based on what she's accomplished. Uh, male turf horse. Now, given what we've already discussed, this is going to be tough, isn't it? If we think up to the mark, could have been horse of the year, nearly horse of the year, but then we put August Rodin in as our second best three-year-old. August Rodin beat up to the mark in the turf. How did you? How did you vote? I went, and this is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, I went with up to the mark over August Rodan simply because I'm thinking of this from an American standpoint. We only saw August Rodan one time. I know he did get the better of up to the mark, but it's my opinion, if you reverse the trips for those two horses in the Breeders' Cup, up to the mark actually wins. So if I think he was the better horse, maybe trip was, you know, circumstantially got defeated out at Santa Anita. I chose to go up to the mark over August Rodin. Now, I, t- I tend to take my responsibilities pretty seriously here, and I certainly don't want to be 
parochial in my voting and, and feel very honoured to be a, a, a someone who's able to vote, even though I don't live in the United States. Uh, and so therefore, I, I generally have an instinctive dislike voting for once victorious Breeders' Cup winners who've had their, that, that, be, that being their only run in America all year. But I don't see how I couldn't put Inspiral on top for female turf horse. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and it really boiled down to two things. If Modge had won the mile, I would have made her the female turf horse based on what she's done in her two stateside starts. But it boiled down to in Italian for Chad Brown. And if I'm just being brutally honest, I don't think she won enough this year to warrant a year-end award. And for Inspiral to come over and win as impressively as she did in the Philly and Mare turf, uh, that's where I went. And I'm with you. I couldn't agree more. To me, I try to do everything in my power to avoid voting for a one-off coming here to the United States. But I think in this case, I think she deserves it. We're agreeing on far too much at the moment. Uh, Steeplechase horse, uh, do you abstain or do you vote? No, I vote. And and look, by no means am I someone who is locked into the Steeplechase awards. I go back and take a look at some of the replays. I I went with Mary Maker in here over Snap Decision. Uh, The horse I voted third was Noah and the Ark. But I understand if anyone wants to poke holes in that, feel free because I'm far from... Authority on that. Now, then there are the human awards, owner, breeder, jockey, apprentice, trainer. And I always feel that that the the voting body takes a slightly reductive approach to these. It's like, well, who's won the most money? Who's won the most rather than a rather than a slightly more holistic view? Are are they right or not? Me personally, I, I try to think of it a little bit differently than just the raw numbers, because if it's purely on numbers, it's going to come down to a volume game and you're going to have the same people at the top every year. For me, as far as owner and breeder are concerned, I thought it was difficult to get around Godolphin with what they accomplished this year. Uh, but I kind of look at things a little bit differently in terms of the jockey and the apprentice. Errat Ortiz Jr. would win every year if it was purely on numbers. And, and talent-wise, he probably is. I, I voted for Javier Castellano. Uh, it was a bit of a resurgence resurgence for him in 2023 obviously winning the kentucky derby winning the belmont winning the travers winning so many other big races across the country i I wanted to give him a little bit of a shout and then as far as the apprentice jockey is concerned i think a lot of people will just default to axel concepcion and i don't have any issue if he wins i've seen enough from luis rivera jr to think that he could possibly be a legitimate star in the making he still needs a little bit of work but i love what we've seen from him in a short amount of time so you know, if you want to say I went against the grain a bit in those two divisions, so be it. But I went with Javier Castellano and Luis Rivera Jr. Okay, and for the first time in a while, there have been several candidates who could be Eclipse Award-winning trainer, but there does seem to be a, um, a a real sense of momentum behind Bill Mott ending this where we began it with the, the trainer of Cody's Wish. I, I couldn't get around Bill Mott. Uh, you take a look at his Breeders' Cup, whether it ends up being Cody's Wish, you take a look at a horse like Elite Power, you look at some of the other runners that he trained. You go back to the beginning of 23 where he wins the, the Pegasus World Cup with Art Collector, who was a million to one, sort of an afterthought. Uh, I just think in totality what he accomplished throughout the year in so many different divisions, I completely skipped over just FYI with the two-year-old Phillies. I, I don't know how it's not Belmont. Yeah, and um, 1996, the last time he was a Eclipse Award Leading trainer. It's quite something, isn't it? And I I didn't realize how young he was then, too. He was only 40, early 40s when he was training Cigar. I mean, it, like you say, it's a testament to his sort of ability not only to maintain excellence, but he's also shown an ability to adapt. I mean, it was only a few years ago 
that Bill Maher with a two-year-old, you would have kind of rolled your eyes and said, talk to me when they grow up, when they get a little bit older. Now he has quickly developed sort of a, a program for these two-year-olds to have them not just ready to run early on, but be very competitive and win some of the most prestigious races we have. Matt, that's the Eclipse Awards done. Look forward to seeing you there. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, UK and Irish-based jockeys who are applying their trade in the US at the moment, because there are an awful lot of them. Um, ben Curtis is at the fairgrounds. Sheen Murphy's been riding with you in Gulfstream, where you are now. Likewise, Sean Levy. Frankie, of course, we know is over in, in Santa Anita. Um, how are they all getting on from what you've seen? I've been pleasantly surprised, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but we've seen many of these European riders primarily on the tapita, but some of the chances they've even had on dirt, they've actually acquitted themselves very well. And I, I think we here in the U.S. just automatically think when the European horses or the European riders come over that they're going to just completely put on an absolute sort of clinic on the turf. Well, I think Frankie has a lot to do with this, but seeing what he's done on turf, or excuse me, on dirt, I think it's at least shown some of these other riders, I don't want to say the blueprint, but this is how you do go about winning on dirt here in the United States and getting your horses a little bit more involved early on as opposed to sitting back and coming with a run uh, even a couple of weeks ago you, we had david egan over here as well so um it's been very very fun to see these guys come over here apply their trade uh, curtis is doing exceptionally well down at the fairgrounds oshin murphy here at gulfstream i think he's probably going to wind up on a couple of very live mounts live three-year-olds as we get closer and closer to the florida derby and the gulfstream oaks just because it seems like every time he's on horseback his horses are in with a chance all right matt thanks so much look forward to seeing you soon you got it, buddy. Anyone who has ever run a charity auction will know how difficult it is, first of all, to assemble all the lots that you want, and second, to make sure there's enough interest to raise the money that you really want to. I think we should all take a leaf out of the book of Simon Bazanson, who, with the assistance of the online auction house Thoroughbid, has assembled no fewer than 129 lots in aid of cancer and motor neuron disease and nearly 80 of those lots are stallion nominations from studs either side of the Irish Sea. Simon joins me now. Uh, Simon, I suppose we better dial it all back and, and ask you how this all started and, and what gave you the impetus to, to want to, to raise the money. Hi Nick, yeah. Um, I felt, unfortunately my... Uh my father was diagnosed with uh, with cancer in August, and you know we'd uh, I we've already had been uh, hit hard with with uh, the big C as such. With my uh, my my mother in law was diagnosed the year before with um, with lung cancer, so I'd uh, I'd wanted to raise um, a few pounds for it, and I had my original idea was a, a Cheltenham preview night in the local town, and um, because. We, we, we used to own a pub just outside Goy in a place called Kalina, um, Porter's Bar, and my, my dad had ran it. Um, it was an old, our, our old family pub. And um, yeah, it got going from there. We uh, I, I started ringing around with various trainers and um, and jockeys, and, and it kind of spiralled on from there uh, through donations of... Uh, like, it's, Joseph O'Brien was the first person to give me a, a morning on the gallops, and so I thank him for the inspiration on that. And um, I, Gordon Doyle, New Ross, was the first man to donate me a couple of stallions. So I got ringing around. And once the, those had, uh, had given me the, the inspiration, I, I started ringing studs. And, and 
and, and the trainers and I, I built up a good few lots and then I was talking to Jamie Codd about doing my Cheltenham preview night and he'd, he'd said to me you know why are you just keeping it within Ireland why don't you fire out the other side of the water and see if you get on so that's what I did It's remarkable you've got a whole raft of trainers who are giving mornings on the gallops, Lucinda Russell and Dan Skelton and Jamie Snowden and Sam Thomas and Christian Williams and Venetia Williams, uh, paintings and, um, as I said, 78 stallion nominations as well to a whole variety of different size, flat, jumps, dual purpose, Britain, Ireland. Um, how much have you raised so far? Um, as of last night, we were, we were at the €40,000 mark. Um, so I... I, I I had in my head I didn't know what it would have raised I, I you know I, I everyone kept asking me oh, what do you hope to raise and I, I never really had a figure in my head but I'm I'm blown away at the moment blown away by it well it's on a, a very easy to use platform if anyone wants to go and have a bid um, and the lots are, uh, are plentiful but at the moment a lot of them very affordable as well and you'd be giving money to a wonderful cause thoroughbid.co.uk uh, Simon um, raising money for the Irish Cancer Society and the Irish Motor Neurone Disease Association. Simon, thanks so much. Oh, Rob, Nick, thank you very much. Well, racing's community engagement has become ever more important in recent months and years, and as such, it's great to be able to give you details of the Racing Together Industry Day, which takes place on Thursday the 8th of February at Chester Racecourse. To tell us a little bit more is Florence Kane who has twin roles at Racing Together and Racing to School, one of the great initiatives that this uh, sport um, does. Uh, Florence, just tell me a little bit about what we can expect on Thursday, the 8th of February, and who can come? Morning, Nick. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so on Thursday, the 8th of February, we are running our second Racing Together Industry Day, following on from the success of last year at Ascot. It will be This year it will be held at Chester Racecourse, and it's an all-day industry conference uh so there's refreshments and chance for networking and this year we're focusing on new routes new solutions why community engagement can no longer play it safe so it'll be a really great chance for everyone to learn from within the industry what's going on from outside the industry and uh, we'll be hearing from ian gregory from chance to shine amongst other speakers from jockey club um from insurance brokers who will be working um, in the sponsorship aspect of community engagement, and it will be chaired by Conor McGinn, who is the co-chair for the all-party parliamentary group for Bloodstock and Racing. So it's a really great opportunity to come, share best practices, learn, and um, we will also have a panel at the end uh, talking about the role of ex-racehorses um, in the therapy space and how they can help communities and individuals who are potentially hard to reach uh, following their career on the track. Um, anyone can attend um, and at the moment we have the early bird ticket sale price on until this time next week so if anyone would like to come um, please do visit our website where there's all the information um, and ticket uh, info so that is racing together just on .co.uk and then um, yeah it's and anyone can come and uh, if you'd like any more information then all our contact details are on the website. And just finally, before I let you go, uh, Florence, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the theme of the day, new routes, new solutions, why community engagement can no longer play it safe. Uh, I, I I'm just sort of wonder whether you could just expand a little bit on why that theme has been chosen and where the industry thinks it is in terms of its community engagement at the moment. I think uh, the industry at the moment is in a, 
a very positive place regarding community engagement. We had Community Day, which saw over 75 organisations come together from racing to give back to their communities in which they operate. And that's amazing. And National Racehorse Week was a huge success, another record-breaking year. Um, but it's about reaching those people who aren't necessarily the people who are seeing all what we're doing on Twitter, who are signing up to initiatives that are promoted in racing's hubs, you know, Moulton, Newmarket, Lambourne, up in Scotland. And um, it's about the power of the horse to be able to reach those people who might not necessarily have access to mainstream community engagement. So it's important that we can reach those people who, who might necessarily not get access to these kind of events or uh, initiatives. Lawrence, thanks so much. Racingtogether.co.uk is where you need to go if you want to sign up to the Industry Day, which is on the 8th of February, and it's at Chester Racecourse. Thank you, Nick. Right. Thank you to all my guests today. Um, it's not exactly going to be the most stimulating weekend of all time, but it will no doubt have its highlights, and they may begin today in, in the desert where Rishi is is with us. And have you got a, a suggestion or two for us? I have got a couple of suggestions. There's a horse I like running at Ludlow, which I'm going to mention in just a moment. But there's one that I'm particularly interested in Dubai at Maidan, who runs in race five, Nick. Um, there's a very short prize favourite uh, for Charlie Arthurby and William Buick, plus a change, um, in the, I think it's the 2000 Guineas trial. Um, but it's Legend of Time, a horse by Sea the Stars, He's running over seven furlongs and he's drawn 14. So I'm against him. And there are a couple in the race. There's Movie Maker for Side Binsteron. There's a horse that I really like, trained by um, Francis Henri Graffard, called Shamrock Glitter, who is a half-brother to Lord Glitters. Uh, he's got a good draw install too. He's only had two runs. He won on the second of his of his starts. The first run's actually worked out quite well. He was behind horses that have gone on uh, to place and, uh, and do well in Patton Company. And the fact that um, his trainer, who, as you know, is excellent at travelling and targeting races abroad, has picked this race to kick off uh, 2024. Then I'm going to take a chance on Shamrock Glitter. And the one horse I like today at Ludlow, hopefully she'll make amends for uh, coming a cropper at the third last of the December meeting at Cheltenham. Malata for Mel Rowley and Charlie Deutsch. Um, she was going quite well in the race won by La Malle Maison, and I'm hoping that she gains compensation at Ludlow today. All right, stay dry. Well, I'm sure you will, but everyone here, stay dry. <laughs> Friday, January the 5th, uh, we will be back on Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.